the reason I joined the Power and Utilities Banking Group at Lehman Brothers was to be able to finance these projects in emerging markets and have that impact. At that point in time, India, you know, over two-thirds of the population lacked consistent access to power. And, and, and mm. now you know, it's, it's just a fraction of the market that has consistent access. So it's been quite remarkable, that impact, and just being part of that story. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back, everybody, to The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm your host, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Dahani Jones. Today, I'm speaking with entrepreneur and director, investment committee member, and philanthropy lead at the Green Bear Group, LLC, Vishnu Apple. Vishnu, a fellow Michigan Wolverine, can be described as an investor who is at the intersection of global technology, infrastructure, and sustainability. With 20-plus years of international experience in private equity and VC investing, Vishnu is on a mission to make the world truly a better place. He joins me now to discuss the power that can be cultivated with sustainable investment, the importance of building a green future, and to share his story. Welcome, Vishnu. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me here, Donnie, and looking forward to the session. Well, I, I know that I highlighted the most important content of our discussion today, and that has to do with the greatest university in the world, the University of Michigan. We are joined by, I don't know if it's a million, 500,000. I, I pretty much think that we run the world. What was your experience like attending the greatest university in the world? You, you know, the best part of the experience actually has been since I've graduated and meeting the alumni base all over the world. So I've lived in 12 countries, six continents, and it's clear that you have the largest alumni base and most global at the university. And that's been the best experience is meeting alumni along the way and then going back to campus and reconnecting with students, serving as a mentor for, for graduates. Been abso an absolute uh, amazing experience. And, and so it continues beyond graduation. That's really been the best part. But of course, when I'm actually in Ann Arbor, my favorite is, is you know, the food, particularly the pizza and, and going to Pizza House. During the daytime, too, <laughs> so, not night. Don't make me hungry while we're having this discussion because, you know, I might just get some, like, Blimpy Burger. I might get some Cottage in. There's a lot of food on campus, as, as a lot of people know. But the best thing is always walking down the street and just saying, go blue. And you know, you know people feel that, that energy when you're on campus. And it's truly, you see it in, on campus, but you see it all over the world, whether you're in Singapore, in Tokyo, Mumbai, here in Chicago, you have the Amon, someone's always going to say go blue. And that, that really means a lot. And it's built, it's a wonderful community, it's truly global. Is there a story, you know, obviously today, today we're, we're talking about investing, we're talking about mergers and acquisitions, we're talking about sustainability, we're talking about the future of, of our world, of our planet. Is there, is there, in an interaction, a conversation that you had recently or in the past with someone from the University of Michigan that just gave you the sense of hope that what you're working on is important, not only to yourself, but to so many other graduates of the school, but also to the rest of society and the world. To be honest, actually, the first transaction I ever worked on when I, when I was at Lehman Brothers was financing a power plant in India, 
whereby one of the sponsors of the power plant in India was a Michigan alum and whom I still keep in touch with 20 years later and have dialogue about how the industry is evolving. I can do more with that team and and other people in that ecosystem. And and, and that's been 20 years in the making. So it really comes together again, how you tie in the network and and Mm -hmm. use that as a sense of community to create great impact professionally and, and, and socially. And I suppose that the network has always evolved over time and, you know, growing up and living in different places, moving to different places, ending up at the University of Michigan. But the network also had this amazing catalytic moment, which in turn was the first one. Um, so what was the first big deal that you brokered in? And what did you learn from that, that experience? So in that experience in India that I touched on, and, and it means so much just given, you know, having the connectivity with Michigan, being originally from India, and having the passion, you know, the reason I joined the Power and Utilities Banking Group at Lehman Brothers was to be able to finance these projects in emerging markets and have that impact. At that point in time, India, you know, over two-thirds of the population lacked consistent access to power. And, and, and mm. now, you know, it's, it's just a fraction of the market that has consistent access. So it's been quite remarkable, that impact, and just being part of that story and continuously tracking that over time and seeing the progress in India and other emerging markets uh, and, and what I can do going forward for markets such as mm-hmm. Africa and such and recently was in Southern Africa around this topic. So it's that passion that keeps driving me. It's seeing that, that actual impact taking place that's inspired me. And the Vishnu now to the Vishnu that was before in your first deal, you know, how has your deal making evolved? You're going into these amazing countries. You're talking to these amazing people, obviously, because they went to the greatest university in the world. And there are certain things that you've learned along the way. And that's progressed your own personal deal making. I mean, I think about the world of football, the football player. The football player that was on the Giants, Dahani Jones, was not the football player that was the one that played on the Bengals. And you kind of change, you evolve. How did your deal-making change throughout your experience? It's really preparation, understanding the value of relationships, humility, knowing your audience, and really having clear objectives. And then you have this tireless spirit to consistently chase after those objectives. But it's really, I think having that preparation is really important and, and then being humble at the same time. So initially, instead of going in just cold turkey and just saying, hey, I want to make something happen without a real plan, I've learned that over the last few decades. It's, it's really important. I spent a lot more time in the preparation than the actual meeting itself. Well, that's what they say. And some people definitely shoot for the hip. That's a different type of style that, that people have. And people have made the mistake of not necessarily preparing as much. What are some of the other mistakes that you've seen that people might make when they're trying to close some of these, these bigger deals, especially, you know, you said at the very top of the show, you've lived in all these different places. Culture is so very important and the different types of mistakes can also vary depending upon where you actually might be. Absolutely. So being prepared and not assuming too much, not assuming you've won or or achieved the objective before you've actually undertaken it, lacking humility, lacking situational awareness and being nimble. So not going in with a very rigid plan, having that mobility, you know, being able to move out of the pocket like a Randall Cunningham and then being able to run down the field if you need to. It's that flexibility that's really important and, and not just going in by a book. Did that flexibility come to you naturally or was that one of those like sort of soft skills that you learned at some point in your life? I had to learn that. It took several years. It took learning from others. It took learning from mistakes 
that I made and others have. And having that mindset of just constantly learning, but progressing from the learnings. That's really important. What happened when you made that mistake, maybe the first time or the second time? How did you recover from it? Well, initially, I would, I would take it to heart. It would actually push me back quite a bit. And really, then I had to keep testing myself to say, am I really learning from my mistakes? And it took some time to learn from the mistakes and to really reflect upon that and then gain confidence again. I think you, you have to have confidence, but maintain humility. And, but, but you really need to also be able to learn from the mistakes. And that's, that takes reflection as well. It takes time. It takes iterations. I was always thinking about playing on the field, and I always have this phrase, you know, you have to recognize, regroup, and refocus. And I think, you know, in the recognition of sometimes making that mistake, you get that opportunity to regroup. It doesn't always happen that way, right? Because sometimes it's boom, you're on to the next play. Randall Cunningham, he's throwing the ball, he's out of the pocket, he's improvising, he's back in the play, he's got to keep doing that over and over again. And I think it's, it's being able to iterate much more quickly than your competition because people are always learning as they go. It's just that sometimes people aren't able to recognize and not able to focus their direction on what's now the new approach from what they've been able to garner. So as we're talking about you know, your work, you mentioned some your time as an analyst with Lehman Brothers and global infrastructure. These are huge words, like power and utility. I mean, this, this is a huge industry. Coming out of Michigan, I have the greatest expe- expectations of, of what you've done. But sustainability has been a, a thread throughout your, at your work. And at one point, you raised and managed a large energy transition technology infrastructure fund in, in Europe, backed by a European investment fund. What was the goal of that fund? And matter of fact, how do you even get started in that arena and stay so passionate about it? My studies and, and background has been in technology, both on the hardware and the software side, and on the electrical engineering side as well. And so when you put those together, you take power utilities, electrical services, energy services, and you have technology, chips, software. And how do you put bring technology to drive that next generation of value creation in infrastructure, which whereby infrastructure and real assets have the greatest impact around sustainable industry development, decarbonization, energy transition, these themes, driving towards a healthier ecosystem. So how do you put that together to drive that, you know, where you have the one plus one equals five, six, 10? Mm. That's really the key. So when we had set up this fund in the earlier part of last decade, that was the objective. One of the challenges we faced was, A, infrastructure is an old line industry. They are averse to change. They're heavily regulated. There are several steps around regulation required to adopt technology. The technology was still quite expensive, oftentimes subsidized, and subsidies that were themselves unsustainable. We had a struggle to be able to deploy technologies to infrastructure. There was also high capital expenses related to hardware and the hardware that was required. Mm. So this was the challenge we faced, and I think we were just a bit too early, that initial fund, and to be able to see the adoption. But now, you know, it's, it's quite encouraging that now you are seeing the adoption, you are seeing these climate tech companies delivering sustainable returns and therefore sustainable impact as a positive consequence. And, and that's what's driving me, inspire me for the next few decades around this theme. It's in the news. I mean, it's a part of companies' ESG strategy. It's at the forefront of what people see that's moving ahead in the world of technology and sustainable investments. It's a, it's a way of the way of the future. Are there any benchmarks or goals that you'd like to, to achieve when it comes to sustainable investing? Absolutely. So it's all around, you know, you need to back sustainable businesses, te- technologies, entrepreneurs, teams that can 
actually sustain and endure to create the value. And I think that goes into sustainable, there's a sustainable financial returns, a sustainable commercial value proposition. And then as the positive impact, you're able to measure several elements around whether you call it ESG metrics, impact metrics, or any derivative of mm-hmm. those phrases. Those are positive consequences. And you're seeing those and you're seeing those measured. It's really not just deploying capital or funding a project or technology because it could have high impact, but it's completely economic, or it's economically unsustainable. So that they really go hand in hand. And, and I'm seeing evidence of that, which is pleasing and inspiring them, as mentioned earlier. What are some less apparent differences between sustainable investing and regular investments that people may not be aware of? If you're the average investor, you may not see these nuances between the two. And what do you see as some of the promising up and coming sustainable investment opportunities that are currently out there? So in, in the overall theme of decarbonization and energy transition and just sustainable industry development, with technology and digitalization, you're seeing this, which is underpinning industry development. You're going to find over time that across industry use cases, you're going to have, when you, as you start, you know, more increasing number of investors are implementing and demanding that uh, there's, there's measurement mm. of various impact metrics, that you'll see this sustainability theme across industries. And it doesn't have to be a sustainable industry theme itself, like just renewable energy power plants or energy efficiency projects. But rather in retail, in heavy industry, in the tech industry, you're going to see this measurement that's going to be undertaken and that impact will be there across industries. And that's what's really interesting over time that it's going to really weave across industry verticals. And so when you think about the world of returns, right, or measurement, are you seeing that by virtue of not as many more things being recycled? Are you seeing the returns or some sort of measurement by uh, less carbon impact? How do you kind of look at these different measurements of sustainable in- investing across multiple asset classes? And how are we going to sort of measure them as a whole and then also individually? What's ended up happening often is that you have people just going for it's an all or nothing. It's a binary outcome. So mm. we're just completely focusing on these impact themes and sacrificing commercial metrics and you know, economic drivers. I think you, can't, you really have to have a measured pace around energy transition, impact, decarbonization. It's not an all or nothing. We're going to go from, you know, for example, internal combustion, fueled, hydrocarbon-driven transportation to electrification. There needs to be a measured transition. And, and the same thing is general impact. So backing businesses where then you're implementing metrics to reduce emissions, to, to track their supply chain, improve the transparency around their supply chains. You, know, you could weave this across industries, as mentioned earlier, to have this measurable impact and this measured transition. It'll take time. Things just don't happen overnight. And I think if we're focused on that, as opposed to let's just try to electrify everything right away, it'll get there. But there needs to be a measured transition around that. And is that the reason why you invest across so many different asset classes and cities, sustainabilities, climate, et cetera, is because you have to be able to kind of work the, the entire ecosystem, the, the entire cycle. There's not just one that you can work on. You have to work on all of them. So, so the themes of digitalization and decarbonization are really what is bringing industries together as opposed to being siloed. So you're seeing that. And for me, that's why I want to focus across industries, but, but within these themes. 
but why now? You've had all these different quotes. I didn't realize you were so big time, man. We're friends and, and I love having our conversations because you just teach me so much about the different industries of which you've been investing. But in preparation for this, for this inter- interview, I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been in The Economist, you've been in Wall Street Journal, checking out some of your different quotes. I mean, you know, talking about decarbonization and some of the stuff that you just, you just brought up in climate change and energy. Why do you think it's now important for investors to increase their sustainability efforts? Well, you're seeing real, real evidence of adoption, not just piloting, not subsidy-driven adoption, but economically, you know, commercially-driven adoption. That's what's really exciting, and in multiple use cases. And then you're seeing the ability for investors to generate returns because of this adoption. And so as a result of that, more capital is going to be deployed in this theme mm-hmm. because they're seeing a return. It's not concessionary or, or grant-making capital. Their actual financial returns. So you're able to generate sustainable returns and have sustainable impact. And so that's why it's now, and this theme will continue to grow on a secular basis over multiple decades and across the globe, I think, particularly of interest. And I'm sure you're going to have considerable amount of sky miles because you're in everybody's conversation sitting in every single boardroom because in fact you you sit on 30 companies across the globe and different advising different companies you know you're angel investor you're you're backing entrepreneurs you're disruptive tech enabled business models and infra technology energy tech sustainability tech climate tech i mean there's just so many different areas that that you're investing in i mean what areas excite you And I think another question is like, how do you have enough time to do all this? Because if I'm listing all in my mind, stumbling about and stuttering because it's just so much, how do you keep everything together? And then also at the same time, like what motivates you to help other mentors and help their businesses grow? It's a, yeah, it's highly time consuming, but you know, I, I go to sleep excited about waking up early in the morning to continue along this mission and to continue to to having greater impact and and to continue to learn. And frankly, it's that mentoring or working with others that I'm learning from, mentoring, that's that next generation and those around me who are going to continue to drive that value. And I want to be part of that and enable them. And that's what really inspires me every morning when I wake up is to work with some amazing people. And there's an increasing number across the globe that are not only passionate about sustainable impact, but starting businesses, starting funds as consumers as well, or corporates. So that's really quite exciting. You're seeing this, this uh, evidenced on a daily basis. So who do you like working with more? Is it the, the entrepreneur that's just getting started or the corporate that's a part of the, the bigger machine, if you will? The entrepreneur always is more exciting. But, you know, and having spent time at, at some of the largest energy companies in the world, there has to be a balance. And so how can I help entrepreneurs management teams, employees, fund managers, bridge the gap towards adoption with these large corporates and their supply chains. And, and that's something now I figured out over the past two decades, a way to do that. And, and you're seeing this adoption taking place. Is there one thing in particular that you go back to that first deal that you did when you were at uh, Lehman Brothers that you always move forward to those that you're, that you're mentoring, right? You talked about before about being flexible. You talked about being for being, being prepared. You know, what are some of those tips and tricks, if you will, that you make sure that you impress upon those that you're spending a lot, a lot of time? I mean, you're board of director and observer on 30 companies. I can't even keep that straight, but there's got to be a lot of people and leaders that you're, as one might say, being able to provide that advice and feedback. 
too? And, and what are some of those things that you, you know, pass along to them? It's all about surrounding yourself with like-minded people, similar passions. And I think it's about that ecosystem you surround yourself, surround yourself with. I don't believe in success as an individual. It's really those you're around and, and you're inspiring them, you're learning from them, and, and vice versa. So I, I think that's something from my first experience. You know, we had a very, it's, it's a tremendous team and set of colleagues at Lehman Brothers. We tended to work with entrepreneurs and teams that with similar mindsets to foster these outstanding outcomes. What's your greatest success? So mm. my role is enabling successful outcomes at companies, teams, fund managers across the spectrum. But what am I doing to enable them to be better? And you know, we all win as a result of that. And I found being you know, more behind the scenes and finding synergies between different groups that I work with creates greater outcomes as opposed to trying to focus on one objective uh, on my own. I, I found it's just better being an enabler and, and, and there are better outcomes than that. But as you look back across you know, your career and the different places that you travel to and the people that you spend time, there has to be that one success that you say was like, wow. I mean, it also could be not only a, a moment that you kind of looked at and said, wow, but also could have been a moment where you said this was a pivotal time in my life and also the industry where I was able to make the most amount of change. What was that great success? What was that specific moment? For me, I think I had a tremendous four years in, in, in Saudi Arabia at Saudi Aramco during the transformational time of the country, the country I have all the love uh, in the world for. And I learned a lot, met some tremendous made some tremendous, uh, contacts and relationships over that period of time. Being able to build global investment teams to drive these themes of digitalization, decentralization, decarbonization and during COVID. I think that was quite remarkable and, and, as, you know, in, and aligned with the mission of, of Saudi Arabia to become really a global leader across these themes and, and, and as that market really opened up. So I think for me, my contributions, particularly special, like being able to contribute to, to those, that growth and development. Would you say, you mentioned Saudi Arabia being at the, the edge of doing some great things around sustainability, that there are others that can match in terms of where they are in sustainability? Or how would you measure, from your global perspective, the competitive race to reach a certain level of, of uh, sustainability? So especially during a, where there's a market cycle, a correction, or, or you know, just there are geopolitical challenges, you see the, the enthusiasm towards sustainability, uh, sustainable development tends to wane, both from hmm. uh, the private sector, public sector, capital markets, et cetera. One of the challenges is you have different priorities, different measurements and standards, and how, you know, what is success? That's also, you know, net zero has, we, we, I learned, is, has a myriad of definitions. Mm. And, and so, you know, how to get everyone on the same plane, I think, when you think about that across the globe, that standardization needs to take place in the next decade. And I, I really do see that taking place. But right now, and particularly now, given the, the market challenges and the geopolitical headwinds, you're going to see just differing, different d definitions for sustainability and, and these various objectives. With Saudi Arabia and the hydrocarbon price where it's at, they have the budget to really take long-term decisions. And that mm -hmm. is a that's generally a recipe for driving these initiatives forward and really collaborating with the private sector. So it's really a public-private sector partnership that's, that's required. 
So what does the next five to 10 years look like for the future of sustainability and infrastructure across the globe? I mean, a little bit of the same, these headwinds that are approaching in the next couple of years, right? How does it look different? You know, what's five to 10 years? And, and, I, and I think what's going to be your role in that overall success and, and change with the challenges that are ahead? So I, I see increased capital investment. There's further demonstration of financial returns, sustainable financial returns and impact. You have this continued adoption globally that's taking place. Costs are coming down. You're having continued investment in innovation, highly disruptive innovation, mm -hmm. whether that be uh, nuclear fusion to disruptive, uh, next generation of disruptive battery technologies. So you're going to see that because there's evidence of adoption and, and success to inspire further capital investment as a result. So that's one element I see then um, what I'm really excited about how software takes a role in all this. So software will mm. enable the scaling of sustainable industry development, energy transition, decarbonization, industry digitalization, and decentralization. Software will drive that. Software, you're seeing more and more players investing in software companies that drive sustainable industry development. They're not just mm. investors or corporates that are focused on some of these industries, these infrastructure-related industries, you're seeing more generous players investing because they're seeing returns and they're seeing the ability for this to be for software to be adopted across industry verticals. That's been quite exciting uh, as well, and, and I'm seeing that on a continued basis. So uh, you're going to see a lot of mainstream investors play in, and not just because there's a mandate they have from their limited partners, but because they're seeing sustainable financial returns and, of course, sustainable impact. So where will Green Bear Group LLC be in this entire ecosystem? Because there's, with headwinds comes challenge, but also comes opportunity. Who are going to be the ones that sort of rally around you and what will be sort of like the rallying cry to those that might be the naysayers? There are an increasing number of financial of fund managers that are focused on financial investments in the theme and, and finding those who are truly committed and, and see you can be a successful fund manager and investor and drive this impact. And so rallying around those types of groups and the same way the great entrepreneurs, that they understand this has to be sustainable impact is really driven by economics and commercial adoption. And, and you're seeing more of those as opposed to some sort of greenwashing or meeting some sort of sh short-term corporate target or fundraising target that you can generate these long-term returns. And so being with those who are focused on that long-term objective and, and seeing those two work hand in hand. I think that there is a, a litany of those that went to the greatest university. So everybody's gonna be like, oh, this entire, this entire conversation was about Michigan. It is correct. Everything is about the University of Michigan. I, I, who are gonna be some of the, the, the graduates that you've already reached out to, that you've already been affiliated with at the University of Michigan that are gonna jump on board? You already got me always rooting for and rallying for you. But who are some of the other ones that you've seen from the greatest university that are going to be a part of your overall journey? It's a countless number. To be honest, like I've spent a lot of time in building that work of reaching out and connecting on that basis and then working with clubs from those in London to Singapore to Hong Kong to you know uh, Mumbai and Delhi and across the United States. And that's really been a, a foundation of my career development as well as personal development, is that alumni base and always looking for more. And frankly, I've also ended up working with great alumni from Michigan State overseas because, you know, we connect. There's, there's the, there's the mm -hmm. Big Ten heritage, there's the state of Michigan. Remarkably, I found 
several successes. I backed alumni from Michigan State, though notably, I have not, I've rarely seen any alumni from Ohio State outside the state of Ohio and certainly overseas. So, you know, I think uh, I'm still looking for that Buckeye, any Buckeye that's outside the state, the state of Ohio. Well, if it's about sustainability and it's about sustainable investing in this world, I think we can all look across collegiate lines and do great things with each other. I think that the way that you look at investing, I think those that you've affected by the work that you're doing in investing, those that you've mentored and those that you've given that a great advice and counsel has put you exactly where you are and has attributed to your success. So Vishnu, I really appreciate you you joining. And so as we kind of close out, I always like to end the podcast by asking this segment that I call Meals and Deals. Tell us about your favorite deal and a celebratory meal. And I'd imagine for you, it's probably got to be some looking cranny in some country out in the middle of nowhere, but maybe not. Maybe it's just a fast food restaurant just right around the corner from your house. But where's your favorite place to celebrate your meals and deals? So, so for me, it's Chicago-style deep dish pizza from either Lumonati's or Uno's. That's, that's, that's just consistently the case for celebration and to you know, eat an entire medium pizza over the course of a day and, and then proceed to hibernate for three days afterwards. <laughs> well, Vishnu, I, I appreciate it. And thank you so much again for joining us. Next time I see you, I'll have a deep dish pizza and we can talk more about sustainable investing. So thank you for joining. Thank you, Donnie. Appreciate it. A big thank you again to Vishnu Amble for being with us today. His passion for sustainability is truly inspiring, and I can't wait to see what he does next. If you're enjoying The Pathfinders, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find the show. Until next time, I'm Dahani Jones, and this has been The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada.